Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Will the Prime Minister show the same courage and admit he, just like the NDP leader, is dead wrong and vote for our common sense motion to keep the heat on and take the tax off? Conservative leader Pierre Polyev yesterday in the House of Commons keeping up the heat, so to speak, on the carbon tax these days. And we're talking about it this morning, too. We've heard about how effective, theoretically, it can be. We just spoke to a guest about that. But we've also been hearing about how some politicians say it's time to tweak it or get rid of it, even here in B.C., where it's been pretty much a done deal since Gordon Campbell brought it in back in, what, 2009. So for now, it looks like BC is not getting the same exemptions other provinces are. So where does that leave us? What should we be doing? Well, joining us now to talk about that is Kevin Falcon, leader of the opposition for BC United. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me, Simi. So what do you think when you see what's happening right now, all this discussion and debate about the carbon tax, like you were there at the cabinet table when it was originally brought in. What's happened? What's gone wrong? Well, I think that's a very, very important point, because when we brought in the revenue neutral carbon tax, by law, we had to take every penny of revenue generated by the carbon tax and return it to the public in the form of lower personal income taxes, lower small business taxes. And that, I think, was an important part of the contract we have with the public. It was a tax shift as opposed to a tax grab. But since that time, and and I have to tell you, when I was finance minister in 2012, I froze the carbon tax at $30 a tonne, which represented about $0.06 a litre for the average uh, consumer out there. And we froze it in place, and we kept it frozen after I retired from public life in 2013. Uh, The following uh, finance minister, BC Liberal Finance Minister Mike Dion, kept it uh, frozen at $30 and stayed that way until the NDP were elected in 2017. Then two things happened that I think really changed everything. Number one, They changed the law to say we're no longer going to return the money back to individuals and small business. We're going to take it all into government. And number two, they more than doubled it. And now they plan on more almost tripling it over the next seven years. And I just think that what's happened now, the circumstances have changed. We're the most unaffordable province in the entire country. And people, frankly, are just getting fed up and can't afford it. Now, specifically with the heat fuels, um, we were very clear about that, that when Justin Trudeau said that he was going to provide tax relief for some homeowners on the East Coast because they happened to heat their homes with with oil. Uh, We said that should apply right across the board here in British Columbia, whether you heat it with oil, whether you heat it with natural gas or propane. We would take the carbon tax off all home heating fuels, full stop. Okay, so doesn't that start to tweak it, though? Doesn't that kind of get away from the original purpose of it? It does. And, and, but I think we need to understand something here. Um, we, you know, whenever you're in government, you can't do things without understanding the context. The context in British Columbia right now is that we're the most unaffordable province in the country. We've got the highest housing prices in North America, the highest gas prices in North America, the highest rents in Canada. We've uh, got a government, an NDP government, that's introduced or raised 29 taxes since they've been in government. And quite frankly, I think the public is really struggling. And at a time the public's really struggling, we cannot be charging a carbon tax on something as fundamental as heating your home. 
And, and I just think that, you know, if it was getting results, uh, for example, back in, in my day when I was finance minister, even at the very low rate that we had at that six cents a litre, um, we at least were seeing declines in emissions. But we're seeing rising emissions today. Uh, at the same time, we're seeing them cranking up the carbon tax. And I just think that we have to look at other things we can do, because there are lots of other things we can do, to uh, make a big contribution to reducing emissions globally. Okay, but first of all, why not return then to the principles of the original purpose back in 2009 and say, all right, we can offset it other in other areas? Because 2009 was also financially a tough time, right? Coming out, that was a great recession. There was a lot going on there. So it wasn't easy back then either to bring this in. Oh, no, definitely it was not. And trust me, the, the politics were tough too. But I think the public bought into it because of the essential fairness, the fact that it was a tax shift so they could see that it wasn't going to be government just greedily taking the money in um, and it was going to be returned to them. And it was also at a, a very supportable level. Six cents a litre is something most people can support. Um, you know, the problem is uh, now, it's, it, uh, you know, now it's at almost 15 cents a litre. And, uh, you know, as I say, the province wants to triple it over the next uh, seven years. And I just think that, you know, people don't want to be paying almost 40 cents a litre just in a carbon tax, especially when they're not getting any benefit. Now, the government will say, well, we've doubled the rebates. Well, the only reason they've doubled the rebates is because they've doubled the, the, the carbon tax amount. So the rebates go up uh, as you increase the carbon tax. But I just think that we have to look at the broader picture here. 50% of British Columbians are $200 a month away from not being able to meet their family budgets. And in the, in the context of a very struggling population, I think it's time for us to actually start providing relief to, to, to a public that genuinely deserves it. Okay, so then how do you change habits then? If you, if you shift away from the carbon tax as a form of, of getting people to change habits and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, then what? Well, first of all, I think, you know, again, um, I think there's lots we can do. So, for example, I think the investments, uh, I was always proud of, of uh, pushing through the Canada line, even though there was lots of objection by the NDP and by other groups and local mayors, et cetera, that didn't support that. But that took 100,000 people a day out of their cars and into public transit. Same thing with, uh, you know, getting the Evergreen line launched and up and running. That was a great way of pulling people out of their cars and, and, and making a really important climate contribution. But we also have to recognize that British Columbia is a rounding error. We're like 0.3% of global emissions. So where can we make the biggest contribution? Actually, it's by exporting our LNG to places like India, China, and Japan, and seeing dramatic reductions in global emissions as a result of helping them transfer out of coal-fired power, which is the worst form of emissions, into a cleaner uh, fuel, which is LNG. That would actually do way more than we could ever do here in British Columbia. So I think we have to recognize we are part of a global citizenry and we need to do our part globally. And that's where we can make great contributions. But can't we also set an example? Like we can set an example by getting them LNG, but we can also set an example by showing them the way to do that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And and that's where I think, uh, you know, a lot of the other things that we're doing are, you know, uh, encouraging people to use electric vehicles, you know, when they can afford it. We can't, again, this is an area where, the government wants to jam that onto the province. But the problem is, you know, I'm up in the north right now. And I can tell you in places like Terrace and Fort St. John, electric vehicles aren't the answer. Uh, they're not going to work in minus 40 degree weather particularly effectively. Uh, people have different needs up here. We have to remember we're governing a big province. And we've got to make sure that our policies are reflective of the fact that this is a big, diverse province. But there's lots of things. Uh, that folks can do up in the north here too and want to do. They, everyone wants to play their part. British Columbians believe in climate change. You know, we're not like uh, some people out there that are still denying it. We believe it's real. We want to do our bit. 
But we want to do really practical things that people know will work. For example, making sure that we invest right now in doing the kind of resiliency investment we need to make in the forestry sector so that we don't have forest fires every other year in British Columbia, which, by the way, create so much pollution, far more than our entire industry and cars and vehicles on the road combined. So what would you do, though? So if you were elected tomorrow, what would you do? How would you tweak this? First of all, I would make sure that we're investing in what I call resiliency infrastructure. So uh, what that means is making sure that we invest in the forestry uh, sector, do the, uh, the thinning of the trees that need to be done, create bigger gaps between communities, we, you know, these break areas to ensure that uh, we protect communities from future forest fires. I would invest in the kind of resiliency infrastructure that protects us from future floods, which uh, almost certainly are going to happen. I would work with local governments to work on the dikes to make sure that we make the big investments that we need to make. Uh, and we're going to have to make, which will save us billions of dollars down the road. I would continue with the commitments we made, the most important one, eliminating permanently the provincial fuel tax, which would drop the price of fuel by 15 cents a litre for all the drivers out there. That's significant. You know, in a Ford F-150, uh, you're talking about up to $35 uh, reduction in the tank of gas fill or a, a mum or dad driving a minivan, that would save almost $20 per fill. You know, at a time when people are struggling, you know, and fill their cars up sometimes weekly, you know, $100 or $140 a month in savings is really significant. And I just think that we have to start recognizing families are struggling, they deserve a break, and we've got to provide those breaks. Well, at the same time, making sure that we remain very committed to doing everything we can to help do our bit as British Columbians and as part of the global uh, citizenry that we're part of. Uh, thank you so much for your time on that this morning. No problem. Thanks very much for having me, Simi. That's Kevin Falcon, leader of the opposition for BC United, talking about ways that BC should even and could even uh, improve the carbon tax. Now this has become a discussion, right, with the exemptions given by the federal liberal government, and everybody's talking about, well, wait a minute, how can we do this better? If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com.